Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today, what does your toaster need you to know about it? Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Seth Nelson. I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. Today, Michelle Dempsey-Multak joins us from the Moms Moving On podcast. Michelle has turned her own divorce into a thriving practice, writing, podcasting, and coaching others through the divorce process. Michelle, welcome to the toaster. Thanks for having me in your toaster or at your toaster (laughs) or on your toaster. In the toaster, on the toaster. We're unclear. On the positioning of the toaster. It changes week to week. Michelle, we're so excited to have you here. You've got such a a, a, a valuable perspective that you have positioned on your website and your your, uh, coaching process and the the podcast I've been listening to. Uh, You know, it, it is really focused on helping women, helping moms move on through the divorce process. Such a valuable perspective. And as men in the divorce podcasting biz, uh, we were hoping we could start with a little perspective shift. Can you lead us through what you need or what women need men to know about what it takes to move on from this process? Yes. And here's the thing, and I talk about it with my new husband all the time. He happens to be a family court judge. So he sees men and women <laughs> all day, every day. Talk about you still like marrying into the biz. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild, right? Um, you can't write that stuff. But he said to me one day, and it made so much sense. He said, you know, I see these couples every single day. They come to me and they get divorced and everybody's upset and angry and their egos are like fighting each other. And then they come back a few months later, or a few years later for post-judgment issues, you know, where they need to amend the parenting plan or one parent isn't letting the other parent know when the kid needs a haircut, whatever the issue is. And the woman comes back strong and looking amazing and happy and less in the mood to fight. And the guy is still exactly where he was when he issued that divorce, you know, a year or two ago. And he's like, I get it now. These women read the books. They join the communities. They listen to the podcast. They go to therapy. They find the women's group where everybody's sitting around and bitching about their ex-husbands. And they move on physically. Whereas guys don't always do that. And it's not because they can't, but they don't have the opportunity to shift their perspective. So... I think what men really need to know is that at a certain point, you've got to shift your perspective on this divorce. Like you can't just sit there being pissed and being hurt and having your ego destroyed for whatever reason. Like at a certain point, it's time to say, okay, this didn't work out. Just like that job I once had in college, just like that friendship with that dude who ended up in jail, it didn't work out. You know, it's all about a perspective shift where I think women get the unfair advantage with all the female support that's out there and the empowerment on how to shift that perspective. Men don't really get access to that. You raise a good point because it sounds to me in a few simple words, the women do the hard work. They do. And I'm, and I'm, listen, I'm not saying that men don't. I just think they do it in their own way. That takes a lot longer. Do you think that when men who are divorced and are dating women, who are also divorced, that they need to understand when they start complaining about their ex, that one, they're showing all their cards on on kind of how bad they are, but two, their ex, in quotes, 
could be the woman sitting across the table from them at dinner because that woman might be receiving alimony. That woman might have fought for more than 50-50 timesharing. That woman might have been put through the ringer about, well, you should be back in the workforce making 150 Gs when you've only made 80 grand in the history of your career. So that's like a big warning sign to guys. Do you think that's something that they should be really thinking about before they start going down that path? Absolutely. Because in my work with women, which very often involves consulting dating experts, um, one of the first things we talk about is that red flag, how he speaks about his ex-wife in the divorce process on a first date. If, if he's harping on it or he says anything other than, well, it just didn't work out. We tried. It got messy and gross and that's that. Then you, you got to go for a number of reasons. One, he's probably not over the, the end of the marriage. Two, he very well may have a personality disorder that is not allowing him to understand his own faults and the demise of the marriage because it takes two, right? And three, you just don't want to be around that kind of bad energy. So less is more on that topic. And I know many guys, friends, my ex-husband, who have admitted to the fact that they've showed too much anger about the ex-wife on a date and it sent that woman like straight out the door. Yeah, it feels like there there are two important messages. One, I'm sitting across the table from a, a potential partner. My ex-wife is an amazing woman. She is in the present tense still currently an amazing woman. And our marriage didn't work. And the second one is, I'm also an amazing person. And I'm confident enough to know that I'm a good person. And we both came to this marriage as good people. And we leave it as good people knowing the relationship didn't work. Like, there is also something, right, about owning that that bit of confidence that the marriage didn't work and we're still okay. Right. Is that something? Am I just totally, am I, no, when, did I, I when did I start lying just now? You're not lying. I think. Ultimately, and this is something I say to women all the time, you know, they come to me with my ex-husband is the worst. He's an asshole. He's so bad. He's so this. And I'm like, you know, very few people on this planet are inherently evil. Like people aren't born, you know, all of us to be these evil people. We go through things in our life that force us to act in certain ways. Maybe it was some trauma in your ex-husband's childhood that led him to feel insecure and need to cheat. Or maybe it was, you know, your trauma in your childhood that couldn't wrap your head around trusting your ex-husband. Like we all come to the table as good people with bad qualities yeah. sometimes, right? And so I think there's there's this, uh, you know, every, every woman calls her ex-husband an asshole and every ex-husband calls his ex-wife crazy, right? Mm -hmm. I think like that's that just seems to be the narrative and it's about- Easy stereotypes, right? Easy stereotypes, but it's about understanding that like, unless- your ex-husband was Jeffrey Dahmer. He's not inherently evil. And we have to focus on the fact that there were good things there that led you to walk down the aisle to him and make children with him. And those are the things to focus on when you move forward. On that same topic, I'm very close with my former spouse. I never even used the word ex because I think it has a derogatory connotation. We don't use the term stepdad. He's got an amazing male role model in his life who happens to be the person married to his mother now. Now, when he's saying, like, if he's introducing his friends, this is my stepdad, we call him the bonus dad. It's like the <laughs> icing on the cake. It's the cherry on top. It's a bonus. And Steve, my, you know, Kai's uh, bonus dad is amazing with him. And he's so loving and caring and has his back. 
And I'll, when I was little, I dropped him off and said, oh, I pulled an ex-husband moved. I, I, I'm dropping the kid off totally sugared up. <laughs> like, you know, and Steve goes, don't worry. He's a great kid, especially when he's sleeping. You know, I mean, that kind of stuff right in front of them. But I think that's something to think about. How also, how do you also view the new person in your former spouse's life? Because sometimes they're your best ally and you might not even know it. Maybe they're the one keeping your former spouse in check a bit. What do you think about that? First of all, I'll wake up every day hoping and praying today's the day that my ex meets somebody. And I'm going to say ex because baby daddy just sounds like a little, you know, <laughs> right. a little much, right? A little much. <laughs> um, but I think your greatest power is the person, like that, that is the, it's your frenemy. It's the best person you could align yourself with because uh, from their side, they really do want your approval. Like I, I am, my husband's second wife. And I do enjoy the approval of his ex-wife in some strange way. Like when she thanks me for doing something for their daughter or, you know, recognizes that something was done that wouldn't have been done if there wasn't a woman in the picture. I once put out a post on Instagram and I got skewered for it by all these women who had been like recently cheated on about honoring the new woman on Mother's Day. And, and people like came for me. I had to take the post down, but I believe in that. And I got that example from my mother because I'm the child of divorce, a heinous divorce with a heinous father who did heinous things. But something my mom always did was like align herself with his new woman, even though she was the mistress. And I didn't understand at the time. And now as a mom, I fully get it. Like that was her way in. That was her way to make sure our teeth were brushed. That was her way to make sure that, you know, if I cried, there'd be someone there to dry my tears because my dad was not good with emotions, you know? So that person, Really, you need to put in your back pocket and cherish because they're not there to hurt you. Again, our egos are so wrapped up in, you know, this person's there to take my place. No, this person is just the new person in your ex's bed. And it's not the worst thing to have a happy ex, you know? You just said it, ego. I mean, my sense is the things that get in the way of men moving on are their inability to get out of their own way, right? Yes, to get out of your own head and be able to see and live in fact and truth. Like I'm anything that causes me to get upset about, uh, you know, this new person in my ex's bed is they're they're all stories I'm writing about this fantasy of a marriage that might have actually worked out. And I'm, I'm letting myself get repeatedly disappointed about a thing that is never going to happen. And I say that to women all the time who have been cheated on, you know, uh, they're so mad at the, the mistress or whoever. And I'm like, well, let's, let's take a look at your, your marriage for a second. Had this affair never happened, was your marriage everything you wanted it to be? Was this your dream man? Were you the happiest you had ever been? And a hundred percent of the time, the answer is no. So we're able to like, look past the person who we're casting all the blame on and really look at like the bigger issue. And that that's helpful too, is to sort of like take a bird's eye view of the situation at hand and not just the one thing that seems to hurt so much. And that's, that's helpful in moving on as well. What about the woman who's dating a man now, he's divorced and he is, you know, hasn't moved on yet. He still has that anger, but the woman's like, you know what? He treats me great. And they just have a, 
a bad relationship. They, you know, they just didn't work and they still don't work and they're raising kids together that kind of almost compartmentalize. Can, do you think that's healthy? Can people do that? Is that, should there still be a red flag when it, when it only seems to be directed at the former spouse or ex-spouse, but Hey, our relationship's great. As divorced people being in a relationship with a divorced person, there has to be a level of understanding there that maybe right now things are great with the ex, but he's very up and down. And in a couple of months, things could be really shitty there. There has to be some sort of level of understanding that there was an emotional attachment there, that that person may still trigger your new partner emotionally. That doesn't mean that they're not over it. That just means that you know, this is, it's divorce. Like that's, that's what it does. There's very few people in the world who can say that their ex doesn't trigger them in some way, shape or form when it comes to the kids, right? Like we're human. And so I don't think that that is necessarily a red flag or a deal breaker. It's, it's when the person is just constantly carrying around that anger and that baggage that they can't get a sentence out with like, oh yeah, my ex did that all the time and pissed it, it pissed me off type of thing. Seth, I got a question for you, not as the divorce attorney, but as the as the previously divorced individual. Did you what what resources did you? And again, I, I think Michelle said she has the unfair advantage of the of the women's groups and the women doing the work like there's a national tendency. Did you find any of of that when you were divorced? Did you call on any sort of resources to help you through that process and to get over yourself? Oh, yeah, I went to therapy. It was great. I'm and I'm not being sarcastic about that. Thank you. <laughs> I love a man who goes to therapy. Honestly, like there, we have to normalize therapy for men. We really do. Yeah, it was absolutely the best thing that I could have done. And that's for a number of reasons. One, in that 45 minutes to an hour every week, which I started weekly. Sometimes I went more than once a week at the very beginning. That therapist's job was solely to focus on me and no agenda. It's not like when you're out with your buddies and they'll listen to you bitch about things for a little bit, but then they want to talk about their lives or their kids or the sports game or whatever else is going on. It's not like when you're talking to your family members that are concerned for you, but also kind of tired of hearing about it um, or judging you and like, "Mm, those are bad mistakes. And how could have you done that or X, Y, and Z? The therapist's job is to focus on you. And I went to more than one and I found one that fit for me. And the one that fit for me didn't let me get away with shit. She called me on my shit, right? And so they were focused and they were, I had to look inside and unpeel the onion and um, whichever analogy or metaphor or simile you want to use. And by doing the hard work, I am a much more secure person in who I am. I'm much more comfortable in my own skin. I'm a thousand times better at communicating. I still have those triggers, Pete. We've talked about them. Yeah. I have this whole trigger about being included. I feel that sometimes that my girlfriend will say something and I feel excluded. And I know she doesn't mean it that way, but then we talk about the conversation we're having as opposed to the substance of it. And that immediately, like my chest gets tight, but then it relaxes. But I practiced those skills. It was no different, Michelle, than 
going to practice for a sport and like, okay, we have practice. We're going to learn these skills and go home and practice on your own. Or, you know, hey, the piano teacher, did you practice when we're not in the lesson? So I viewed therapy as going to practice. But then I had to take what I learned in practice and go out in the real world and see if I could then implement those skills. I think that's a really great metaphor, Seth, too, because it's an easy way into a lot of men's heads, right? It, it is, consider it like a sport. Consider it like your, your it's, it's just like your golf game or your tennis game. Like, you, you got to practice this stuff. You got to do the work. But how do we get more men to go to therapy? Because I, full disclosure, at my therapy session just before we started this podcast, <laughs> and, uh, and she's great. She gives me homework and she gives me things to think about. And she also calls me out on my bullshit. And I said to her, do you realize that so much of what we talk about like, could be avoided if the people in my life I'm talking about chose to have their own therapy? Like, and she said, I know, but you know, we, we can't force that. We wish we could, but so many issues could be avoided if that person went to therapy. My simple way to motivate men is you don't force it, you incentivize them. It will help get you laid. Right. But I can't guarantee that for him because I'm certainly not. <laughs> right. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> not, not necessarily with you. Not but... with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it's, it's just, I don't know. I feel like women, you know, and I see it all over Instagram and social media, all the empowering quotes for women about yeah. healing and, and, you know, getting in touch. I, I do a lot of work around trauma and resilience and getting in touch with those traumatic things so that you can work through them. And like, those quotes are not being posted for the guys. They're just not. I will tell you though, from my perspective, I was single before I was dating my absolutely phenomenally intelligent, hilarious, beautiful partner that I'm with now, just making sure she's listening. I'll hear about it later, is <laughs> I would go out on dates and I'm a divorce lawyer and the topic would come up what do you do? I would say attorney. What kind of an attorney? I would say, well, I'm a divorce attorney, but I really work hard to leave that at the office and not bring it home with me. And then if my date started talking about her divorce, oh, I had the worst ever. I'm like, check, please. I'm out. Right. The reciprocal though, is if they asked, oh, are you divorced? And I would say, yeah. And they would say, well, what happened? And I would say, you know, two really good people that have an amazing kid. It just didn't work out between us. And I would try to just leave it at that. I would also talk about if they asked, well, what is she like? I'd be like, she's amazing. I could not ask for a better mom. We work really well together. I would always compliment her. And by the way, it happens to have the benefit of being true. Really? My former spouse mm -hmm. is phenomenal. We are very close. Um, and people would tell me that when my friend's wives wanted to set me up, they would, I would say, well, how do they describe me? And one thing they would always say is he really gets along with his former spouse. And that was an attraction to the women that they were setting me up with. If guys, if that doesn't get you motivated to go to therapy and do some work, I don't know what's gonna. Yeah. You know, I was at my last week, I was in Utah for a good friend's wedding. She was getting remarried. We happened to get divorced around the same time. So it was very meaningful to be there. And her ex-husband was there, like in the front row, cheering her on, sitting with their daughter because mommy was now marrying somebody else. And I know them from their life together. And 
he's just an amazing dad and co-parent and may have had too much to drink. And I'm like, literally in tears, like, Josh, you're so amazing. Like, can you please get ex-husbands to be like you? Like, how are you, how are you, like, you're here and you're happy. And he said, yeah. And he said, you know, the best thing I could have for our daughter is, is Ev, my ex being happy. And I, I just don't understand how people like couldn't feel that way. And I'm like, oh, trust me, there are many ex-husbands who don't feel like you. And, you know, he's, it was a Jewish wedding. He's like holding the chair when she, like, she's like up in it. <laughs> That's awesome. Wife. It was the most beautiful thing. And I'm like, man, I would be this person for my ex-husband. I know so many women who would be this way for their ex, for their ex-husbands or baby daddies. And I don't know a lot of men that can be that, that, that emotionally evolved to be in that same position. Well, I know they're out there, and I think that celebrating, uh, you know, we we love to celebrate the value of therapy, and Seth and I are both, you know, <laughs> we're, we're clients. And, <laughs> long-time uh, listeners, long first-time time callers. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And, and, and so celebrating the value, mostly because anger, like angry, divorced men, even my dearest friends who have been through divorce and aren't doing the work, are such a bore. I love them, and they're a bore. They aren't doing the work, and it's obvious. They're not flossing between appointments, and they're a bore. And there's nothing less attractive than that. If if they're my dear friends for 20-plus years, and they're a bore, what are they like to the new potential new women in their lives, right? They're a bore. And I think that's really something to just just recognize, that even your closest friends might not be telling you, you're a bore if you're not doing the work. So let's talk then a little bit about the value of, of healthy communities and what it means to find those affinity relationships with people who understand what they're doing. You happen to, to have, uh, have created a, a, the Moms Moving On community, and, and uh, let's talk a little bit about the, the value that folks get out of that. I think that there is so much power, you know, as parents, we're taught to validate our children's emotions, right? But who's validating Hours, adults. Yeah. And I think there is so much power in validating another woman's feelings of loneliness, fear, anxiety about the divorce process, or that pain that comes those first few weekends when you're adjusting to co parenting and you don't have your kids. And I didn't have that. I was the first of my group of friends to get divorced. And then my friend who just recently remarried, remarried, got divorced. And we were both like kind of the blind leading the blind because we didn't know where to turn for that community. And I remember Saturday nights, you know, I I normally would have been out with other couples and everybody's still out and I'm at home, like, you know, watching the affair on Showtime and eating (laughs) potato chips. And I'm like, well, it has to be the affair. It has to be the affair is what you're watching. (laughs) It made me feel better. Okay. Don't judge. I love that show and I've watched it twice. But anyway, the point is I didn't have where to turn. Yeah. And so I created it. And now I think, you know, I get hundreds of DMs every day, most of them questions from women just starting the process. And also a lot of them from women saying, thank you. Like, I can't talk about this to my friends because they don't get it. Or everything you post, it's like you're in my head because that's what I'm going through. Michelle, my girlfriend says that all the time, that no one gets it until they go through a divorce. So if she hears of someone going through a divorce, that's, I wouldn't say in the tight friend group, but you know, like even someone that might be an acquaintance, she will reach out and say, I've been there. 
Yeah. Yeah. When I first started, and I'm, t- I'm now co-parenting a two-year-old in diapers, going back and forth, leaving her mommy, and I'm heartbroken. And I would say something to my friends who were like now pregnant with their second and third kids. They'd be like, oh my God, you're so lucky you get a break. And I wanted to like hit everybody with my car because that was not the answer I was looking for. Yeah. Whereas, you know, now I have a whole community of women that, and I have a paid membership group with a Facebook page where, you know, one of the moms will write, okay, I need, I need help this weekend. My little one is at her dad's for the first time. I'm losing it. And everybody Mm. like chimes in to make her feel better. That is so invaluable. And something I don't allow in my community is X bashing. Like I'll take it right down off the Facebook page because we're not there. Good for you. Yeah. We're good for you. We're there to empower. Like I don't bash my ex, you know, maybe to his face, like joking around, but there's no there's no value in that. It doesn't help anybody move on. And it certainly pulls other people into a negative space. So I don't allow it. But it's really more of a place to say, hey, I'm in this situation. I don't know what to do. Um, has anybody else been here? How did you handle it? Like I just saw somebody posted, how are you guys handling Father's Day? And they know in my community, we celebrate and support the men that we're divorced from because our children deserve it. And that's that's the running theme. So to have to have a community is to have power and and you know, knowledge is power and advice and, and perspective. Again, it all comes back to perspective. And Michelle, I want to just touch on this because I can't help but have my lawyer brain on. Everything that you're saying is advice I give to clients if we have to go to trial and argue about a parenting plan. I will ask, I will advise my clients, hey, Father's Day is coming up. Make sure you're sending a gift or a card with the kids. Send a thank you note for being, thank you for being there, dad. And and it can be that simple because you're in litigation. You're not going to go on and on about how great you are when you're about to go to court and have to point out their flaws in, as being a parent. But you can at least send a gift with the child. And if you're doing that type of stuff, when you get to court and the judge is looking at it like, well, yeah, this person's trying to co-parent. They're the ones trying to heal. They're the ones focused on the children. The gift is from the children, right? As opposed to, did you send the your co-parent a Father's Day gift? Mm-hmm. Did your children have anything for them? No, no. What kind of message do you believe that sends to your child? Like, I'll have a field day with that on the other side, mm-hmm. but I'm doing that when I'm advising clients from a quote litigation perspective that does have positive outcomes, even if it never comes up in litigation again and we settle, but you're doing it for the real reasons, right? In the heart of this is showing the kids what's important. This is how you heal. This is how moms move on. It's not about your ex. It's about your children always at the end of the day. And if you can lay your head down at night feeling okay with not empowering your child to celebrate their dad, then I don't know like what planet you're living on. You have to encourage that relationship because whether you like it or not, that person is half of your child. You know, my, my ex made a joke the other day, like we were, my daughter got her report card and it was amazing. And she's like the top reader in her kindergarten class. And that's like porn for me because I used to be a teacher. <laughs> and, and I'm like, look at this child we created. Isn't she amazing? And he's like, I gave her to you. And I'm like, yep, mm-hmm. that's just the reminder I needed that she is half you. And we forget that. Again, it's ego. Like we're so mad at our exes that we're not going to celebrate them out of spite. 
you're basically like shitting all over your kids when you do that. And it's awful. I see it all the time. And yes, from the, I, I have a lot of lawyer perspective because as you can imagine, I have many a nights at dinner with lawyer, family lawyers because of what my husband does for a living. I'm so sorry for you. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> my whole social network. <laughs> but I, I love the attorneys that will take that sort of collaborative mindset instead of the litigation mindset of like, well, fuck them. Let's piss them off more, you know? So I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. We have no, that doesn't help anybody doing it that way. For those people listening who are, who think, Hey, I don't, I don't need to, I don't need a bespoke community for divorced people. I have friends. My friends are going to be enough for me. What do you say to those people? Okay. Have fun with that. No, I just I, realized I totally outed myself because I look at my own friends that I love dearly and call them a bore on a podcast when they're going through trauma. That's probably not the right friend group you want to be associated with. I need to rethink it. Listen, I have amazing, amazing friends. I'm really blessed. But a lot of them are divorced. And those are not the friends I go to with certain issues. Those aren't the friends that I call and cry to when I miss my daughter. You know, like, there's different friends for different things, right? Like you have your fun friends that you know are going to want to go to the bar and like not leave until last call. And then you have your friends that are fun just to talk about. I gave up those friends a long time ago. (laughs) I can't. (laughs) I'm like, I'll meet you for happy hour. You good luck to you the rest of the night. (laughs) There's different friends for different things. And I don't think, you know, as divorced people, we can only have divorced friends. So many of my friends are happily married and have been for a long time. And I just think, you got to find your people when you need them. What's what was the saying they taught me in, in nursery school? Make new friends, but keep the old. You know, you you raised a good point about a lot of your friends being married, and you were the first divorced person in that friend group. Yes. Did you experience where they would invite you to dinner? Did you feel like a third wheel, or 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 you would invite them over and say, "Hey, I'd love to get together with both of you," and not not just maybe the girlfriend, because maybe you guys would do that historically anyway? Yeah, I think I felt confident enough to be the third wheel. I just didn't want to be. So I really focused more on girls' nights. You know, like we do a lot of that anyway as as young moms, you know, in the in the mom chat, it's like, ladies, we need a glass of wine. Like let's what when are we finding a night to go out? Um so I was fortunate in that my friends were always down for a girls' night. So I wasn't th- third wheeling so much at all. I just wasn't. It, you know, if, if it came down to that and I knew that people were going out as couples and they invited me to go along, like I just wouldn't go. Not because I felt weird, but like, what's the point? I would just be doing it to avoid sitting at home alone when sometimes sitting at home alone is really great. Yeah, that's interesting because I did both. Sometimes I would sit home alone, which was really healthy for me to learn how to be alone. That was one of the, a lot of the hard work I did. And then sometimes friends would... um invite me or I would call them out and say, Hey, I'd love to go out with you guys or, you know, whatever. And then it, sometimes we would, maybe I'd meet my buddy for a drink and then his wife would show up and we'd all have dinner together. And then maybe I'd leave and they'd have dessert or something. But I actually found that it wasn't all the time, but when it did happen, I I found it to be really nice where I didn't feel just like, Oh, I only have guy friends now. Now I think there's a lot more support for women. There's more girls night out guys kind of do different things, but I just was wondering how you uh, impacted that and how you played that out. Yeah. I, like you, had a very hard time being alone. Like I had never been single. I went from relationship to relationship and that was a lot of the work that I needed to do. That was like anxious attachment and abandonment trauma. And I also don't like feeling left out. 
Um, you know, and so I had to work through that and it was painful, but it was very necessary for me to be able to know that I could say no to a plan and sit at home alone and still be worthy and still yeah. okay. Um, yeah, a pill for me to swallow. If you ask my childhood friends that like I knew in my teen years and my twenties, like Michelle was always on the go and she was never single. Like that's what they would say because I did not know how to be alone with myself. And that was something I really needed to learn. And just as I got comfortable with that aloneness and that, you know, Saturday night home alone with Showtime, the affair, great show. Um, That's what I've heard. I've I heard put it's that, an amazing show. I would have put the link in the show notes. <laughs> that's, that's when I that's when I met my now husband, which is so ironic. Like I'm finally like empowered enough to be alone and I feel confident and I need I know deep down I'm not gonna die alone. I'll meet someone when the time is right. I wasn't actively seeking it, and that's when I met my second husband. I could not agree with that more, and that was very similar to my experience. When I finally became comfortable being alone, mm-hmm. is it almost opened up a different side of me that was never there to the point that I think people responded to it. When, for me to say, yeah, go have your girls night. You know, maybe we'll catch up later or whatever the case may be. And I didn't feel like you always had to be with someone and I didn't always have to have plans. And hey, I could wake up on a Saturday morning and not have plans. I'm going to fill my day. I'm going to enjoy my day. It's going to be either productive or relaxing or content taking the dog to the dog park, just chilling out, whatever I decided to do. That was a huge shift in my life. And I am very social. Um, so it, it, and I'm definitely an extrovert, but I do now even enjoy some alone time, um, in any way, shape or form that that comes to me uh, throughout the day. And I don't know about you, but for me, it was also like, you know, you come out of a, a marriage and when it's bad at the end, there probably isn't that much intimacy. So you're like, Hmm, like, I wonder what I could get into here. Right. And, and, <laughs> and the old me would have really responded to a lot of these Facebook messages from like all the guys that somehow got like the smoke signal that I was signal single again. But for me, it was like, sure, that would be great to have like, you know, casual one night thing or see if I've still got it. But like, I didn't want to do that and be that person and have a daughter at the same time. Right. We got to make a transition uh, here. You got, we've got so much to talk about. And I, I, since we've been talking about the value of the community, can we start with that? What other stuff do you offer in your community? And then we got to talk about your book and we got to talk about your podcast. You got a lot to do. So let's, uh, let's do, let's do it. You know, the podcast is Moms Moving On, and that is everywhere you can listen to podcasts. And it's doing really well. And we have great, great guests on and everyone from the seasoned divorce attorneys and therapists to the occasional housewife of somewhere. Um, and, and it's been great. So that led itself to my book, um, which is coming out from Simon and Schuster later this year, Mom's Moving On, Real Life Advice on Conquering Divorce, Co-Parenting Through Conflict and Becoming Your Best Self. That is a labor of love that I'm really excited will um, be available to the people of the world. Now, I was looking at your website. Can you, are you giving pieces of it away now if people sign up for something or is it just a waiting list? It's a, it's a waiting list. Okay. However, I am going to be doing um, free workshops and stuff with people who pre-order. So outstanding. Get on that list so that get on the list. Yeah. Link in the show notes directly to that list. And then I'm on Instagram, which people find um, helpful. I post a lot uh, about 
going through the process and co-parenting and overcoming all of that. So you could find me there at the Michelle Dempsey. Wonderful. This has been great. That's great. Yeah, Michelle Dempsey, you're fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time, for sharing your time with us and our community. And uh, and for, you know, just you being you. You're great. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, and everybody, thank you for your time and attention. Thanks for doing the work uh, on behalf of Michelle Dempsey and America's favorite family law attorney. Seth Nelson. I'm Pete Wright. Gets me every time. <laughs> I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you right here next week on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with Nelson Coster Family Law and Mediation with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, How to Split a Toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of Nelson Coster. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.